Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures In.net. I'm Sean Club, your host, and with me today are Caleb Wells. Hey y'all. Hey y'all. <laughs> How's it going? Nice accident. Yeah, uh, accident. No. Accent. Accent right. <laughs> <laughs> that was my accident. I can't uh, say accent. So there you go. <laughs> and there's also Joel Schobert. Hey, hey Joel. everyone. How you doing? <laughs> hey, yeah. hey. Good. Good. So we haven't recorded in a while, but I think we have a good topic to go over and it is talking about Microsoft Build. Microsoft Build was uh, all virtual this year, so nobody got a chance to go in person. But I think um, the virtual stuff was still pretty good. What do you guys think? Do you want to improve the quality of your source code? There's a great solution, a static code analyzer. PBS Studio is a tool designed to detect errors and potential vulnerabilities in the source code programs written in C, C++, C Sharp, and Java. The analyzer can be used on Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. PBS Studio performs static code analysis and generates a report that helps a programmer find and fix bugs. It performs a wide range of code checks and is also useful in finding misprints and copy-paste errors. There's a good opportunity to get a month free trial and save your project from bugs. Follow the link in the bio, download PBS Studio for free at devchat.tv slash PBS and use the promo code adv.net, A-D-V-D-O-T-N-E-T. Yeah, what I when I saw that some good stuff, and I definitely found it interesting how they worked around everything being virtual. I think they, they did a pretty good job. You know, and also a lot of the topics, not only were there's a lot of good topics, but some of the presentation was actually a little better in this virtual format where you could always see the screen clearly. And it's not necessarily a camera from like back of the room catching part of the screen, part of the podium, part of the person. Actually, yeah. that whole thing where you've got the slides and then the person superimposed over it made the slides much more readable this year. Yeah, and it was going like, you know, 24 hours a day, you know, get to catch all the different time zones. So I, I think that was a, an improvement there rather than just watching recorded stuff over and over again. So, but it all started out with Satya, you know, gave his little speech. Uh, he talked about GitHub. GitHub now has over 50 million developers. That's quite a few developers. And then there's uh, 61 data centers and regions for Azure. So I don't think anything's close to uh, 61 data centers. And then there's, uh, for Teams, there's over 75 million daily active users. And I think that's probably uh, kind of a result of, of everybody being locked down. Right. Uh, it still shows that, that they can handle that. And they've been rolling out features after features uh, in Teams. I don't know if you guys use Teams at all. Not for work, but I, I have, I've tinkered with it some on the side just to see it works. Yeah, and we've used it at a kind of a lower level to coordinate the three of us that work for one of my friend's consulting companies. So um, yeah. all those basic stuff in there works, works really well. Yeah, some of the stuff has been catch up with Zoom, you know, like virtual backgrounds, and they're trying to make so you can see more than four people across or three people across on the display. So I know, you know, Zoom will do like a, a six or seven by seven display, something like that a lot. So they're trying to catch up yeah. with a lot of that. So they're working on it, but uh, it's working well. I like it. It's interesting because we used Slack for work. Just started doing that about a year ago. Before that, he had like this open source chat. It was just inside the office. <laughs> We've stopped using Slack calls, we're doing Zoom calls now. So maybe if Teams can can get where Zoom is, maybe we can move to one solution. I find it I find it definitely easier when you can do everything from one portal instead of having two or three or four, right? You have to manage. 
I find it's easier in teams to just be chatting with somebody and then you decide, okay, well, let's make this a video call. And just for, right from the chat, you can switch yeah. over to a video call real easy. So chatting, I think, is, is better in teams than it is in Zoom. Mm. Yeah. You don't have to schedule yeah. a meeting or anything like that. It can be just a normal chat, kind of like Slack is. So yeah. that works well. Uh, they also demoed a tool called Winget. It's the Windows Package Manager. It's in preview. And it's kind of like chocolatey. So think about all the different packages out there uh, that you can install from chocolatey, but this is going to be something that'll be you really developed right into Windows. So you can just Winget and get a package or maybe an application so or anything like that. You think it's going to replace NuGet or is it just, is it, is it got a separate focus entirely? I think it's got a separate focus. Okay. Yeah, it, okay. it could be used for any utilities or things like that that you you want to install into Windows, not just something yeah. that be for developer based. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, I've, I used to use Chocolatey for a while, but I guess I just I got to a point where I found I, I didn't need it as often. And once I got my system set up the way I needed it, right. So haven't used it in a while. Yeah. Windows Terminal is now at 1.0 release. So I do, I have been using Windows Terminal a bit. Hmm. It's, it's nice, you know, to launch that up and get multiple tab experience better than, you know, command line experience, CMD, anything like that. So I've also used other different shells in the past. So it's nice. You can have, you can have PowerShell tab open, multiple PowerShell tabs, a command line, lots of different things. It also... With uh, this, they also have now Windows Subsystem for Linux 2, and that now supports GUI apps. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, it's a trip. It messes with your head where you, you, can, you have your Windows terminal or PowerShell over here, and then you have your, you know, Windows Subsystems for Linux over here, and, and the, the different commands, right, and the, the, the paradigms that they, they approach. I, I haven't necessarily settled on which one I like better, but it's nice that they that they've got got the options built in now, right? And they're yeah. building on the Linux support. WSL two is supposed to be a lot better performance Good. than it was with the original as well. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Almost, you know, I don't know. It's probably not native Linux type speeds, but it's supposed to be much closer than the original Windows subsystem for Linux. So the next announcement they had is uh, Visual Studio 2019 is up to 16.6 and 16.7 is in preview. So if you're running uh, 2019, make sure you're up to 16.6. And if you want to go and try the latest bits, you can look in 16.7 preview one. .NET Core 3.1 is now in long-term support. I always get confused about long-term support versus non-long-term support versus 3.0. And the dates that they have, what what what's valid dates, time spans for each one of them. So it's always confusing. So if it's confusing to you, <laughs> you're not alone. You know, <laughs> you got to look at a chart to know which is which is currently being supported and which isn't. You can't just know by the version number. That kind of sucks. Right, because they they drop long term support for the two releases. Right, because they want everybody to move to three. So, yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're using? Are you using uh, .NET Core 3 or 3.1 now in your stuff, yes. Caleb? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're using 3.1 and Angular 9. We're about to actually up, upgrade to 10 because it recently came out. 
But yeah, yeah I, I upgraded. I upgraded one of my applications to uh, ten just a couple of days ago. There's still some issues. Some with some of the third-party libraries, completely ready. Right. And it also throws a warning about any of your libraries that are using CommonJS includes hmm. now. So it does whine about those. It can still use them. It just lets you know that hey, those are CommonJS. It's not going to be able to sh- tree shake them down as much. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one of one of my favorite an- announcements of uh, Microsoft Build is Blazor WebAssembly is now released and production ready. Yay. I didn't think that I didn't think this was going to happen until .NET five. So mm-hmm. they worked on it, uh, and it's out there and it's production ready for WebAssembly. You know that's different than the server side. So now you can actually right. everything uh, in the client and then just make API calls to the back end. It doesn't have to do a constant connection between the server and the client like the server-side version does. I, uh, well, half-jokingly uh, broached the topic with my coworkers. Um, you know, what What if we looked at using a Blazor for the front end? And they and they were all like, no, ain't happening. We're, we're already too in, invested in Angular. We're not going there. But, <laughs> um, but I, I do, I, I, I like what they've done with Blazor. And, and I see it continuing to grow and, and gain in popularity going forward especially for people who either don't like javascript or aren't in in that world right and th- this is going to make a lot of people's lives i think a lot lot uh, easier yeah i think it's really going to take off once you hear about some well-known websites or applications and things like that 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 they say and they advertise this was built with blazer you yeah know, right now you hear about things being developed with react or angular or just regular, uh, you know, Windows, WPF or anything like that. But you don't really hear about, you know, Slack was built on Blazor now instead of, you know. Right, yeah. Yep. So I think that'll take off. And speaking of ASP.NET 5, it is now in preview four. So I have not played around with ASP.NET 5 at all yet. Have either of you? Have not. Um, oh, haven't done that yet. But, but one of the things I think, right, they said they've done is they've improved the system.txt.json to to have more of the functionality that Newtonsoft has. And I've actually run into that in Core 3.1 recently, trying to uh, store JSON in the database and, and pull it out and send it to, to a front end. Some of the manipulation I might want to do to it, I can't quite do with the new bits. So um, hopefully we'll see some improvement there uh, in .NET 5. Yeah, I'm, I have one core application that I'm working on right now, and it was using uh, Newtonsoft. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to do some refactoring over system text JSON because the benchmarks, what they say is it actually is faster than Newtonsoft is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that'll be nice. Right. Yep. And let's see, they've also came out with the Windows Forms Designer for .NET Core. So if you're doing some Windows Forms, now use a designer surface for .NET Core. Yeah, all the Windows Forms developers screamed, yay! <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how many of you there, there still are out there. You know, I mean, legacy apps, sure. Um, yeah, it's nice <laughs> that they're, they're still factoring in or moving some of the, I guess I would call more legacy stuff forward as they can, right? When .NET Core came out initially, they were like, 
no, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. Right. We're, we're, we're having to make a hard break somewhere. And they have since gone back and actually brought some of that stuff forward. They said they weren't going to be able to do. So, yeah, I just wish they would help me out with web forms. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen, but uh, that should help me make migration from my full framework applications over into .NET Core. Yeah, I, I use Windows Forms anymore. If I It's something that's still good for quick and dirty that's disposable. You know, something you just need for a short-term little project. You just need to throw it up. Windows Forms has never been anything better than doing something like that. Just quick, dirty, dispose, throw it away when you don't need it. Windows Forms still works, works well for that. And one of the big announcements I, I thought was big for build was C-sharp 9, uh, kind of showing you what's going to come in the next version of C-sharp. A lot of it seemed to be doing with immutables. They mm-hmm. now have a record type, and so the, these are dealing with things that are immutable. So they've got init-only properties. So when you when you create the record, you can only set these properties at that initialization time. So a lot of things going along with C-sharp 9 is based around records there's with expressions so because it's a record is immutable if you need to make something and make a change of it you can say use this existing record but then with these properties set them to be different and it'll make that copy make the changes on the properties and then give you that copy back so i don't know really when is the best time to use something that's immutable I mean, when you're talking about front-end frameworks, they do a lot of immutability, but that's just for change detection. It makes it a lot easier for somebody to know if something has changed or not is when the reference changes. And that may be the same case with with .NET, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know technically why you would want something that's immutable versus the existing class. Any guesses? I mean, a lot of that for for, um, the programming I've done for some of these high-performance places is really just about the compiler time and optimization. If you know something can't be changed and it's read-only, there's so many optimizations you can do inside of it and then making changes really explicit. It's We haven't done a lot of it, but we did some of it when I was working out with a couple of firms out in California. And the second part of it is it's a lot easier to know that your program is correct when you've something that has to be very explicit on whether you've mutated it or not. I mean, those are the two main cases, I think, is speed and program correctness. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So some few, few more things with C-sharp 9. Uh, they now have top-level programs. So that was interesting. So in, in your program, your main can actually be just at the top. You don't have to declare all that stuff. Just put it right at the top. There's improved pattern matching. And of course, there's there are lots more to come. So it's still in preview. So I wouldn't expect C-sharp 9 to be out until maybe .NET 5, maybe later than that, because they're not really tied together, I don't think. Not anymore, right. Yeah. So the next topic that they covered, I think, is really in in your neighborhood, Joel. It's uh, Maui. Oh, right. I'm not not talking about Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're a Xamarin programmer, then maybe it is. Yeah, so uh, you can go and do kind of a deep dive on Maui and all all these topics. If you go to the mybuild.microsoft.com and do a search for BOD 107 or for Maui, you'll come up with the talk, uh, BOD 107. You can also find it on YouTube. They posted it there. And you'll know in the, the right place if it's Maddie Ledger and David Ortnow giving the talk. 
So they were going over just what's going on kind of in that whole Xamarin world and all the stuff that supports it. And one of the things they covered is just the growth over the last year in this space and what's going on. They said that uh, there was over 1 million publishes to Linux of the .NET Core. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with it being Linux friendly. So you can use Docker and wrap things up in that. And they said they had added 1 million new active.NET developers in Visual Studio last year, which is a tremendous growth. And 40% of those new, new ones are, are students. So very active in the, in the student community. And the, the last highlight I'll go over is that 600,000 new .NET Core monthly active developers. So people who are using and, and pushing something out on a monthly basis. So this whole environment space is designed for writing cross-platform code for iOS, Android, Mac OS, Watch OS, and TV OS. And the basic building blocks are it lets you stay in your C-sharp realm, and you're using two other layers. If you use Xamarin Forms, then you've got your UI neutralized to go across all these multiple platforms from your Windows app to a Android to a iOS app or Mac OS. And then the second part is, even if you've got the UI, then if you need to go down to the machine level and interact with APIs on that device, then that would still be different per platform. And for that, you use Xamarin Essentials. So between those two, using C Sharp, Xamarin Forms, and Xamarin Essentials, they say you can expect to hit between 90 and 97% code reusage for your projects, which is fantastic to be able to not to have to have whole bunches of special case code. That's really kind of the, the holy grail that all these platform tools are, are searching after. And some of the early ones have kind of been abandoned because they weren't as good at it. And um, the tools just keep getting better and better for that. The next part they talked about is improvements in the tools themselves for Xamarin. I think this highlight is great. And it just shows you how much work has been going on. The size of the Xamarin suite download went down, meaning you know how things go down when you get your code, you finally clean things up, you re-engineer stuff, get a handle on things. The size went down from a 19 gig download down to a six gig download in the next release. That is a tremendous reduction in size. You can just imagine how much work has gone into making that code tighter and just getting rid of things that are redundant or, or whatnot. The couple highlights there is they now support editing of all the different resource types through Visual Studio. Because when you're doing this phone app and all these different apps, there are a lot of different resource types that you have. And there are times when the editor just didn't recognize and couldn't syntax highlight and help you check correctness automatically with that. So they've finished that job up. Another thing they've done is emulator speed. I know there's definitely for us, we had some issues with the emulator speed for our emulating the Samsung devices and doing the, doing the Android checks. So all of us pretty much have some cheaper, older, older release Samsung phones that we either got from our employers or just bought on our own. Ones that are maybe even not necessarily the most up-to-date ones just because the emulators were so slow before. And they've worked on emulator speed. Here's two great ones that we all sit there with. Compile times are down by 20%. And then the last part is you get it compiled and then you see this little wheel turning and it's pushing those things out to the phone. So I can actually run it. The deploy times are down by 50%. That is fantastic. Two times the speed to actually get the thing pushed out and onto the phone so you can start running. 
And the last one you guys touched on a little bit, they've got the XAML hot reload for quick UI cycles to kind of bring you up to more to some of those something kind of catching up a little bit there to something other developer platforms have had for a while when you're doing just real intensive UI stuff. You want to do something, make a change, see it, you know, move that button around a little bit and see how that looks and it doesn't upset anything else. The uh, roadmap for Xamarin Forms, you can find at aka.ms slash xf roadmap. Then they sort of shifted gears about 40 minutes into this talk and started talking about Maui and .NET and .NET Core. There's going to be a synchronization release where basically Maui is Xamarin Forms. So it's effectively Xamarin Forms 6, and it's going to be named Maui. They're looking at being going gangbusters on this by September 2020, and their plan is to ship in 2021 with .NET 6. And .NET 6 is a really big step as well. That's when .NET and .NET Core will be merged, and there'll be no more of the two separate projects and two separate revs. And wondering, like, what APIs can I call if I'm going to be .NET Core versus .NET? There's going to be a big unification, and right now they're goal is, is uh, sometime 2021 for .NET, .NET Core to be unified in 6, and Maui Xamarin Form 6 to come out. So that'll be, that'll be a big change in how kind of development's done in all the libraries. The other thing I want to touch on a little bit is just because we used it in our project, we actually used the Azure mobile app support, and some people know that as Zumo, Z-U-M-O. The reason we use that in our project is because we were doing a project for heating and air conditioning installers, and they're in the basements a lot, and they lose contact with the net. And when you lose contact, your web app doesn't work anymore unless you have a local copy of the entire database that you can read and write from that when you come back up out of the basement can then resynchronize. So... That issue of keeping, like if you've got 50 installers, now you have your main server that has the real database, and you actually have 50 other copies of that database, or at least a portion of it. Keeping those in sync is a Herculean effort. So there was a tool set we were using to do that, the Zumo tool set, and now there's uh, work going on to replace this with a new version in App Center. And so you can check this out. You can go to YouTube uh, and search for App Center and the Future of Azure Mobile Apps. And about 20 minutes in on that talk, you're going to get the section on App Center data. And they're talking about doing it for SQL Server and Cosmos for the database instances, as well as adding push. And then they talk about in both this and the, the uh, talk for Maui, they really encourage people who are using Xamarin Forms heavily or who are using any of these App Center functions to go in and get engaged. They are actually actively taking requests for what people want. And they're looking at those requests and using it to prioritize how they'll add features, which features they'll focus the most on. So in both these talks, they made a big point out of saying, look, if you use Zubo, if you use Xamarin Forms, Go and get engaged because we are using that feedback to direct how our team operates over the next year as we do these releases. So, yeah, so that was the highlights. There seems to be a lot going on in the Xamarin world. Some of those are just bread and butter stuff, faster compiler, faster deploy, better support for the, the different uh, app types. 
And some of this is big news that folds in with stuff you guys were talking about, about some real re-engineering of those four libraries. So yeah, so that's the highlights from the, from the Xamarin world on this, on this part of the talk. Do you ever have trouble just getting into the flow? You find that your tool is great, like Visual Studio, but you could just get more out of it or get some stuff out of your way or have it give you better feedback that you would be able to get into flow easier. Well, let me tell you about Code Rush. Code Rush actually solves this problem for you. So the first thing that it does is it actually gives you a visualizer on the way that the code is set up, and it actually helps you debug stuff in an intuitive way that makes it easy for you to figure out what's going on. This really helps me stay in the flow when I'm trying to write code. Another thing that it does is it has a whole bunch of navigation options that you can get used to. Now, this is something that I figured out with Emacs was something that I really got into. So when I started using Emacs, just the key bindings and, and kind of the natural flow of things made me a much, much more efficient programmer. And the quick navigation in Code Rush is awesome. You should definitely try it out. They have code analysis, so they'll pick out some of the issues maybe for complexity or diagnose some other code issues that'll point out code smells, it'll help you refactor your code. So the code analysis is another thing where I don't have to actually go in and sit down and think, okay, have I made any mistakes in this code? Because it actually highlights them. And finally, it just validates like your code coverage and all of the other things that you're trying to look at and gives you real numbers and real feedback on the quality of your coding and the quality of your tests. So go check out Code Rush. You can get it at devexpress.com slash products slash Code Rush, or just go to devchat.tv slash Code Rush, and it'll send you to the right place. Once again, that's devchat.tv slash Code Rush. Very cool. One thing I saw that they were mentioning about Maui was a single project developer experience. Definitely. Is that is that where you can you work on the different platforms in one project or that is that is uh, back to that part where they're talking about all those different targets, iOS, Android, Mac OS, watch OS, and TV OS, and using this three-layered approach where you're in C sharp at the top, and then Xamarin Forms as the UI. And then Xamarin Essentials to get your machine differences through a common API. And using those three, you should be able to have one single developer experience that can target all kinds of different platforms. And then using .NET Core Unified in 6, you're just going to see fewer and fewer differences as you're compiling and writing an app that goes across all these different targets. Cool. And I also uh, think they were talking about also being able to use some modern app patterns. You can use like MVVM now, Maui, and Model View Update. Never heard of Model View Update, but... Uh, I don't know the Model View Update either, but they definitely were talking about the MVVM in, in, the, in both of these talks, especially the uh, BOD 107. So you'll see them talking about that about 40 so or so minutes in as they shift to the Maui topics. Cool. Uh, another announcement, announcement they had was Cosmos DB now gets a uh, free tier. So if you do want to play around with Cosmos... You can now try that out for free, uh, no cost. Uh, the Cosmos has, has service, serverless pricing and also now auto scale. So they're definitely making some improvements in the uh, Cosmos DB area. I do love current, auto scale. Yeah. Right. You know, well, just that's one of the things that, uh, that we've discussed in the office is. Um, some of the applications in Azure, right? If you're going to get things like auto scale or more of those hands-off features that that allow them to manage it for you, you lose some control or some access to the 
closer to the bits, right? Um, but I I love the functionality, you know, in allowing a company, say like ours, who during the day, you know, maybe getting hundreds of thousands of hits on the site, but at night we're getting, you know, 2,000, right, to scale up and down as needed. Yeah, definitely handy. Uh, definitely saves uh, a lot on the, the company uh, checkbook, too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So they also announced uh, Microsoft Learn TV, uh, and it's in preview right now. So it's a new video system by Microsoft, video learning system, where people can learn how to build solutions and use Microsoft products from the experts that built them. So if you want to check that out, I'll put the uh, and the show notes, but it's at docs.microsoft.com slash en-us slash learn slash TV. So, but it'll be in the show notes in case you can't get that right off the audio. <laughs> so um, they also talked about uh, the Fluid Framework technology and they're going to open source it. Um, I guess it was introduced a year ago at Build and it's a framework for developers that enables better collaboration through co-authoring, inline mentions, and customizable components. So they're really going to try to make the developer experience for making things that do collaboration and co-authoring um, better. So if that's something that works for either you or somebody in the audience, do look at the Fluid Framework technology, and that's going to be open source. Uh, next on my list is uh, they talked about a new app called Microsoft Lists. It's going to allow users to create, share, and track data and information, you know, like issue tracking or status reporting. The list apps will be available inside Teams, SharePoint, and in mobile app flavors. So that's all we need now is another to-do list. <laughs> right? <laughs> it doesn't, uh, you know, they already have add-ins for all these things. So I'm surprised there's, there's not some uh, good lists out there for Teams or SharePoint or mobile apps. So I guess they're going to give it a shot and come out with Microsoft lists. An interesting announcement is they were to announce Microsoft 10 Power Toys. And Power Toys is kind of cool. I've installed it on my machine. And some of the things that it gets you are fancy zones. And everybody's familiar with, you know, Snap 2, when you drag something to the side or drag something to the top within Windows, it'll snap and kind of give you half the screen. But Fancy Zones actually allows you to define your own layouts. So you can split it anywhere, top or bottom, left or right, and make num a number of snap zones. So especially if you're doing like demos or anything like that, and you want something to be taken up just a quarter of the screen, and then another part to take up three quarters of the screen on the top or half the screen on the bottom, you can actually define that using Fancy Zones. That's really fancy. <laughs> I'm using I know I, I crack myself up. I'm usually a simpleton, but uh, you know, fancy zones. Uh, I right. might be able to make an exception. There you uh, go. <laughs> they have an image resizer, so it's a Windows shell extension for quickly resizing images. So there's tons and tons and tons of uh, image resizers out there, but now you can use Power Toys to put this right into Windows. So you can just right-click on something from File Explorer and and resize it from one or many images instantly. There's a keyboard manager, that's another power toy, and that allows you to customize your keyboard to be more productive by you know, remapping the keys and creating your own keyboard shortcut. So this power toy does 
require Windows 10 build 1903. So it is some of these power toys are only available for more recent uh, versions of Windows 10. So if you have an updated, the, I was going to ask with the keyboard manager, can I just convert all my keys to uh, WASID so I can play games instead of work? <laughs> hmm. You might we'll, we'll, we'll have to see that. Check that out. <laughs> or maybe you can make your uh, QWERTY keyboard into a Dvorak keyboard, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That so would be interesting. <laughs> that would be. Right? That'd be, yeah, really interesting. So uh, let's see. A couple more. They've got power rename. So it's advanced bulk renaming using search and replace or regular expressions. So I could see that one coming in handy quite a few times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Power Toys Run. It's a new toy for Power Toys that can help you search and launch your app instantly with simple alt space and start typing. And I have that installed, but I still have not gotten in the habit of alt space to do something. I've still got my old man habits of, you know, going to the start menu and searching that way or something mm -hmm. else. But I, I want to use Power Toys Run more because in the demos that they showed, it did make things just simple and easy and quick. So I just got to break my old habits. Yeah, you got to build that muscle memory, right? <laughs> Brain memory too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the last one is they have a shortcut guide. So it's uh, just a little pop-up shortcut guide. Uh, when you hold the Windows key down for more than a second, and it shows you the available shortcuts. So you can go out GitHub and download uh, Power Toys if you're interested in any of those. The last thing that I have on my list is they talked about Microsoft Cloud for healthcare. And this really caught my attention because it, it talks about, you know, letting your doctors schedule telemedicine visits in teams. It's also cloud healthcare. We'll use a, a common data model for sharing data across apps. And if somebody is actually interested in using Microsoft Cloud for healthcare, there is a six month free trial. So it will be generally available starting in the fourth quarter of 2020. So I really think there's all sorts of opportunity for healthcare to, to improve oh, their yeah. technology and data. So I don't know how many doctors office I still go into and they're using Windows 7 or Windows XP. And it's like, okay, come on. Well, and I've, and I've worked in that realm a little bit, healthcare data and um, right, you have these three or four major players that have their their systems that they sell to hospitals, all right? But the government required several years ago for them to build in certain interoperabilities with the others so that a, a hospital could have, you know, two of those systems and they could actually talk to a certain extent. But the companies don't make it easy because to make it easy, you know, they probably lose business. So. I, I definitely see a lot of there, there's a lot of better ways that that hospital systems could be developed and managed and, and communicate with each other. Absolutely. All right. So that's that's all the things that I uh, got out of my list through build in 2020. Anything that you guys still want to comment on that you saw in build or through the items that I talked about? Um, yeah. One of the things that I, I noticed was. Uh, a couple of talks about Microsoft Identity and how they're they're growing it, right? It's it's been around for a while, but it's there's been certain limitations, especially within Azure, of 
who could connect and what kind of email they had to use and how the tokens were set up and auth and all that stuff. And they're, they've expanded it quite a bit in the last year and are good, continue to do so. But, you know, it's not just Active Directory or, um, you know, Microsoft emails anymore. They've got uh, integrations with a number of the other big players. And they've also set up integrations for external providers to to be given access to resources, permissions from your IT team with just a tweaks through their their admin system. So that's uh, it's interesting to see how they're growing that and expanding it. So it's can be more of a, a one-stop shop. Are you using Identity Server or just Active Directory? Right, well, right now we're we're building our own version of Identity Server because of uh, the schools that we deal with. We're, we deal with over a thousand universities across the U.S. And a bunch of them are warning single sign-on. But, you know, some of them are SAML, some of them are OAuth, some of them are Lord knows what. <laughs> and so we're trying to build it so that we can actually allow them to connect into our system. But I, I can see Microsoft Identity, you know, maybe down the road being able to, to do something along the lines of that for us. I guess the question comes into cost and and how many clients you have using it, resource, that kind of stuff. But yeah. All right. So Joel, are you going to be switching over to uh, Maui as soon as you can? <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, once you got a code base that's out there working, if it's really mission critical, that's not a thing you just uh, jump right into. So for us, we'll be taking a look at it. We used Xamarin for Android, which specifically was more specific than, than Xamarin Forms. So for us, it'd be a little bit bigger of a hop, but that, that is definitely where everything's going, where all the support is. So it's something we will for sure be looking at. Right now, we're still working on getting out that release that has all of the backend database synchronization. So once that's done, we'll probably take a look at the where we need to go from there. So Sean, one thing you're talking about that I was curious about is um, when you're talking about WinGit, it sounded like that may be a way to install just like end user apps as well. Is that the, is that the case with WinGit? So it's not just DLLs and libraries for programming? Yeah, let me uh, double check on that. Yeah, according to the WinGet docs, it's a tool to install and manage applications. So uh, like some of the things that we discussed earlier, like Windows Terminal, you actually mm -hmm. can use WinGet to install Windows Terminal. And that's right out of the, uh, the Microsoft Store. So it sounds like you can use WinGet to get some, you know, script getting things from uh, the Microsoft Store or any other sorts of tools and things like that. So it can do a number of things. Wow, that's great. A full-grown package manager, sounds like. Yep. Are you freelancing or moonlighting? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of the freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. All right, you guys, anything else? Or we should move on to picks? Picks. Picks. <laughs> All right, so let's see, I'll go first, I'll go first. So just the other day, I saw the preview trailer for Bill and Ted's upcoming movie. Uh, it's called Face the Music. So the official trailer of the next Bill and Ted's movie is out. So I think my pick is gonna be the original. So 
Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You know, very cool movie. George yeah. Carlin, he was awesome in it. So right. good music. So I'm going to pick that. It, and it's from my decade, the 80s. So I love they it. They actually recorded, or not recorded, they actually did that movie down here in New Orleans. They, uh, and Keanu Reeves was on the North Shore, which is just means it's on the other side of, the, of Lake Pontchartrain from New Orleans. And he'd be driving around and he'd just stop. And people had signs in the yards. He stopped and say hey and sign some autographs. So, ah, what a cool experience! Yeah. Right. Well, in in the movie, uh, they show that they're bringing death back. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's going to be you know, some. Uh, they'll play off some of the original movies, I'm sure, and then just build on that. So it does look cool. That's great. All right, Caleb, what's your pick? My pick is it's not a switch game. Uh, is it? No, it's, it's it's a game. It's not a Switch game. <laughs> My pick is kind of a, a maybe an acquired taste. Um, Fantasy Star Online Two just recently uh, came out in North America. It's been it's been uh, in Asia for like six or seven years. I tried it and it, it was fun. Not necessarily something I'm gonna probably uh, sink a bunch of time into. But the interesting uh, kerfuffle with this one. Don't you love that word kerfuffle? Was uh, was that they? It was you know uh, they coordinated with Microsoft and it was kind of a big deal, and Microsoft launched it through the Windows Store, and it failed miserably. People couldn't install it. It kept breaking. There were bugs. It was it was trashing some people's hard drives. <laughs> so the the launch didn't go as expected. But if you like like something that, you know, you can just go in and kill a few baddies and not have to think too hard about it, it was fun. <laughs> I'm checking here. Is kerfuffle in Webster's Dictionary? It should be. It should be. <laughs> if it's not, I got to call somebody uh, at Webster's. Yeah. yeah, very short definition. Chiefly British informal. A fuss or commotion? There you go. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joel, what's your pick? Well, let's see if I can turn the camera here. My pick is Feline Rescue Project. Yeah. And so we have, as you see on the floor over there, three yeah. listeners can't see kittens. it, though. That's right. We'll have to describe it for them. So, I mean, sorry, listeners. He's got right a lot here. of cute kitties. That's right. You're They're sleeping, aren't they? They are all asleep right now, which is a very pleasant change. They, uh, they're pretty wound up. Their, their first couple of days here, they'd had a long journey down from kind of the northern part of Minnesota. And mm -hmm. then they came to the Feline Rescue Project and were signed up as uh, short-term foster parents. And so you basically take them, you pet them a lot to make sure they'll get real nice and be ready for a new family and stuff. And then they stay until they're old enough to get spayed and neutered. And then you uh, take little shots of them and got to write little kind of bios for them and stuff like they're their own little rock stars. And then people come and apply to adopt them. And so it's a, it's a really great project to get them kind of from their, uh, you know, from their being little kittens that... Maybe they don't have a place or somebody doesn't know where to put them or they caught a wild cat and got them started taming down and then they come to your house to kind of get finished up. So, so if, you only want, if you only want kittens and not big cats, that's perfect. It's, it's exactly perfect because there's a big need for this to kind of get them through those yeah. first few months and get them to where they're ready to be adopted. So absolutely. Yeah, we have friends in, uh, in Houston who are doing the same thing, right? And they'll, they'll keep the cat for 
a month or two or so, right? And get it acclimated and just, you know, get to sit and pet it. And um, and then they, they give it away to a good home. Yeah, yeah. One of our little guys, he was a little sick. He had some kind of flu or something like that. So we had to run him to a vet twice the, in a few mm. days. So there's a lot of running around like that. And now he's like feeling great. He went from being so weak, he just wanted to be picked up and carried around and not even play, which is very out of the ordinary for a kitty, a little right. kitten like that. And now two days later, he's just with his two brothers, just roughhousing and feeling better. So, I mean, kind of like that thing, like when you, when, when we get antibiotics, right, you're just feeling like you're dragging, you finally go in <laughs> and those first two days, you just feel like you came back to being Superman, you know? That, that steroid shot. <laughs> do you know yeah. if they have something similar for dogs oh they de- i'm sure they definitely do i mean dogs dogs probably there's even more stuff for that yeah that's too bad uh my wife and i are both allergic to uh, most pets so mm. not something we can do but we definitely like to you know look at dogs and cats from afar <laughs> yeah would that include would that include poodles or does that that still doesn't cut out the allergies i don't i don't think that cuts out the allergies no oh, that's too bad yeah yeah even things like guinea pigs, we can't do that, you know, and we live in city limits. Otherwise, we you might look at getting a, a small pig or something like that. But oh, sure. They don't they don't stay small, even though they say they do. So <laughs> <laughs> we had fish for a while and that just becomes kind of a pain in the ass. So. <laughs> yeah. Did you go Change salt water? Or Change, yeah, water? It was, we had salt water. Yeah. You had a yeah. 60 gallon salt water, which. Which isn't so bad because you, and then the more water you have, the less you have to change it. Right. But then the more you have to change each time that you do a change. So yeah. <laughs> that could be a fun hobby, though. I saw a couple of guys in the office do that. They had their saltwater tanks up and doing little chemistries. So there's so much stuff to keep in balance in those saltwater tanks. But the variety of fish and mollusks and stuff you can get is just unbelievable once you go into saltwater. Yeah, we had a paired set of clownfish once. And, uh, you know, clownfish. They switch genders. So one decides go to go female and they did that while we have it. And, and so one kind of gets a lot bigger and one stays small. And so uh, they did end up laying eggs. None of them hatched because I just didn't have a good enough environment for hatching eggs. Then I also remember once when I had a hermit crab and I had to go away on vacation for like a week and I came back and I found a shell in the tank. And then just just him laying outside of it, just oh, hmm. just looked deader than a doornail. So okay, it's like ah, oh, dang it. So I I pulled that part out and I said, well, the, the shell's kind of cool. I'll just leave the shell in there. A few days later, I, I get up in the morning and like, there's my hermit crab. It's like what? <laughs> I I was naive. I didn't remember they molt. Right. So he had molted it himself, and I thought it was him. He died. And he was just still inside of his shell, getting his new shell. And he finally came out. It's like, ah, oh, cool. That's <laughs> oh, great. It's like the sixth sense of crabs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the, one of my office mates, he, he got, he had this really nice set of fish. He had fish that were in the kind of $100, $150 range, had about five or six of them, just super colorful from small to kind of small, medium. And then he introduced this crab. And my friend warned him when he got it, he said, I think that's actually a carnivorous crab. And he's like, no, no, they wouldn't have sold me one of those. And the crab had one pinchers on one end and something that looked like a lance, a big spear on the other end. 
And sure enough, one by one, his fish started disappearing about one every four or five days. And he said, I, I, I'm telling you, I think the crab is eating your fish. No, no, I don't think so. Well, my friend who kept warning him tended to get in real early. So he got in real early one day, 6, 630 in the morning. And he said, there is that crab with the, up on top, the highest point with the fish speared through that lance and picking little parts of him, eating his sushi for the morning. Oh. He said, yes, you have to get rid of that crab. You're going to lose all of your fish. Yeah, that's one thing about saltwater tanks. You really have to check your compatibility, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you want to have, you know, crustaceans or anything like that, you know, crabs, uh, hermit crabs, any shrimp or anything like that. You got to make sure you got fish that aren't going to eat them because, you know, if you want to go to a reef tank or just a fish tank, and then even a lot of times the fishes themselves aren't compatible with one another because uh, they're all t- territorial. And so they'll start picking on each other. So it's, it's a lot of things you have to really think about in a saltwater aquarium. Definitely an engaging hobby if you got the time for it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, it's 4th of July weekend for us as we record. So I hope you guys have a, a good holiday. Um, Likewise. Don't start anything on fire. <laughs> but, uh, the weather's supposed to be really nice around here and caleb let me know how the uh cooking an egg outside experiment goes right you know, it's really it's, down there. it is really hot yes <laughs> what are you guys running down there now it's like humidity is like 150 and i think <laughs> heat index is like 104 um yeah oh those are the days oh yeah so life in the south that's right in the summer yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to live in Austin, Texas, so I'm always kind of keeping one eye on that. It's like, you know, beautiful springs and falls, very tolerable winter, but mm-hmm. uh, summer would run a lot of 101, 102, and that's just got to be a bit much. Mm-hmm. It's fun up here. Everybody thinks it's hot when it's 90. You know, I can go out and play tennis middle of the day. The courts are empty. No one's out bike riding. Kind of got the place to myself on those hot days. See, and this is perfect for me because I just prefer to stay inside anyway. So just <laughs> crank the AC up. <laughs> all right all right guys my last little thing is i i've actually been getting uh, more and more uh, followers on twitter so we do have some listeners out there they're following the show on twitter and they're following me if you want to follow me or give me some feedback on the show reach out on twitter i am at net superhero (laughs) capes are good right (laughs) all right guys we'll catch you later on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Thanks, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.